In the latter part of this <clears throat> summer, we have been looking into God's Word to see the teaching about our lives, and that our lives in reflection of nature that we see around us have natural seasons that we progress through. Uh, the world, as we've mentioned before, they tend to focus on the early seasons of life when everything is young and fresh and new and we have no lines around our eyes and our eyesight and our hearing is perfect and we are strong. And uh, that's what people want to hold on to. But relatively speaking, that season of our life is not the longest. Uh, we progress through a number of seasons. And as I have mentioned a couple weeks ago, I encourage young people to... Um, to really be uh, mindful of their youth and to use it wisely because you are older much, much longer than you are young. And uh, the uh, seasons, later seasons of life that we often overlook or try to ignore or pretend that we're not even there yet, uh, those are the seasons that often we spend our most time in and we need to embrace that and use them for the glory of God as well. As we've been the last two weeks, we've been through the season of spring, and we talked about spring. It's a season of hope and ambition and new beginnings. It's a season of education and learning. Most people accept Christ as their Savior before their 18th birthday. And it's a season not only of education, but of setting direction. And that's done often in uh, the, the, the hard work that parents do, pouring into the lives of young people to see where their strengths and how God has made them unique as individuals and get them on the right path. Uh, raise up that child in the way he should go. Now, I mentioned at that time uh, uh, that when I was young, my, my path and my wishes and my dreams for my future were very different than how my life actually turned out. And I mentioned the fact that as an exercise in grade four, we had drawn our future with little class pictures of our heads that we had clipped out. And I mentioned in my direction, I wanted to be a truck driver. <laughs> the pastor was not even on the radar. After hearing that, you know, the reach of Troshu Baptist Church through the internet, it's a, it's a wide reach. We cover millions of square kilometers. Well, we're very thin on that, millions of square kilometers, but a lot of people uh, distant see that. And I received an, a, uh, a text with a picture attached to it. My family, hearing that message, looked and found the actual picture I was describing from memory. I hadn't seen it in decades. And I'd like to show you that picture right now. This is my future. <laughs> that, that handsome young devil with those nerdy black glasses, that's me in grade four. And if you can read the bottom, my handwriting literally has not improved since those days. I say, I wish I could be a truck driver. That's what I wanted to do. There I am. And I looked at that picture and I said, there's some omens there. My truck driving career, I'm sitting at a red light, which also has a stop sign. <laughs> Both of those, they usually don't go the same direction, but you know, that, that kind of foretold, maybe it's prophetic that I would never be a truck driver, but I thought there would be nothing cooler than to be a truck driver. And there you go. Spring setting direction. But today we've gone through spring and the busyness of summer and we come to the beauty of autumn. You can find so many beautiful pictures of autumn. You know, we, we have beautiful falls. Our autumn season is beautiful. I believe that wherever you live, the seasons have their own particular beauty and you can find that beauty in them. We sometimes 
regret that we are not the east. We don't have the beautiful sugar maple trees that turn that vivid red color and give so much color to their, their fall season. So much, in, in fact, that the, uh, there are often bus tours of people to go see the leaves changing their colors. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> It's, change, it's turning my pages. The, the fan is turning the pages of my Bible. But fall is a beautiful season wherever you are. But I look at fall and I say, what makes it so beautiful is the fact that those things that we've grown accustomed to during summer, in fall they begin to change. We know why the leaves turn such beautiful colors is that as summer draws to an end, the active span of that, uh, the active season for that plant ends and it begins to draw back into itself, back into the trunk or into the stem, its sap and so forth, and the leaves lose the chlorophyll, which is the green, which allows them to feed, turn sunlight into plant food. And when the green chlorophyll withdraws, whatever else makes up that plant, whether that be golden or brown, I'm looking at poplar trees, kind of yellow and brown, or red if you're a maple tree, that's left behind. And it leaves a, a particular beauty. And there is a beauty of people that they often try to hide or change. As we change, as we get older and enter a different season, we try to pretend we're in an earlier season. Uh, we try to get out the green spray paint and paint those leaves up and try to keep young and, and look like we're still in spring or summer. But I believe God has designed us in each part of our lives not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually even, has its own particular beauty. In Canada, I was reminded of that this week, how we don't want to look like we're getting older. Uh, there was a bit of a kerfuffle in the, uh, in the news that some of you heard about. The Americans won't know who we're talking about, but at only 58 years old, relatively young, a uh, longtime anchor of CTV Evening News, Lisa Laflamme, Lisa Laflamme, was unceremoniously let go. Now, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but shortly before she did, after years, she says daily having to color the roots of her hair, Lisa Laflamme overnight showed up on the Evening News with beautiful silver hair. She let her gray go overnight. And she not only looked her age, but she continued to look quite beautiful. But suddenly, she wasn't quite in fitting with what they wanted to project. Yeah, it was okay for Lloyd Robertson, her predecessor, to have that beautiful silver hair. We often look at men with silver or white hair. As a kid, I always wanted Phil Donahue's hair because you know, at 30 years old, white-headed, but it looked great. Instead of turning gray, my hair turned loose. And uh, it just kind of didn't have much chance to do anything. But... Faye would call that a rabbit trail. She says, get off that rabbit trail, get where you're going. <laughs> but that's the beauty of autumn. It has a particular sense to it. But just as aging harkens back to what came before, isn't autumn itself have a wistfulness? Doesn't autumn, just the feel of it, sort of harken back to something that we've lost? Whenever I start to see, as I've mentioned before, those poplar trees start, this branch suddenly overnight goes golden. And then we say, well, that tree must have had an injury. Maybe there was bugs or something made it turn early. I 
I always rationalize that. But the more it happens, the more it happens, suddenly you realize that summer is drawing to a close, that autumn is arriving. The wistfulness of autumn is tinged with a bittersweet sadness of the things gone by. You know, we always take pictures of the kids, all of us do when they're young, and we put them in albums, and we always imagine a time where we will sit with an Afghan across our knees in our favorite comfortable chair and take out our albums and look at them, and we do from time to time. Faye had the albums out recently with the grandchildren looking at the family back when we were young, when we were in a different season of life. But I find myself, I find myself when I do that, I enjoy it, but it it's bittersweet. It's sad in a sense too. I see the kids young and fresh and know how their lives turned out. Now they are busy and grown up and they have kids of their own and I miss what came before. Those kids, as they get older, they don't have in their memory banks like you and I do, their squeaky little child voices. When they were young and they couldn't form words and they pronounced certain words funny and they had a little lisp or a little funny thing they did and they quickly grow out of it, But for moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas later, we store those things away and we miss them. We grieve what's in the past. That's a sense that most of us have for autumn. It's beautiful, but it's bittersweet because the way we usually conceive of autumn is always looking in the rearview mirror of our lives. But Jesus near the end of his physical life. Now remember, he was in his early 30s. In in first century Judaism, you could not teach publicly until you turned 30 years old. Jesus, fully God but fully human, lived within the social and religious culture of first century century Judaism there in in, in Israel. When a child was 12... You could ask questions. Before 12, when there was teaching of God's word, the child remained quiet. But as soon as they were 12, they were bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. They were a child of the law and they were responsible, knowing good from evil, to keep the law so they could ask questions of their teachers of God's word. Remember what Jesus did at 12? He amazed them in the temple court with the wisdom of the questions. He didn't teach, but his very questions were wiser than the teaching of his uh, the, the wisest teachers of Israel. He amazed everybody. So at 30, he was able to teach publicly. Now the Gospel of John shows us that Jesus attended at least three Passover feasts, so his public ministry was about three years. So that puts us at right about 33 years old. And if you're my age, you look at 33 and you say, that is so young. And yet Jesus goes through the seasons of life, all of them as our example. And at the end of his life, facing the same issues, end of life, later life issues that you and I face often over decades in our fall years, our golden years, Jesus faced them at a young age. But he was still our example. Speaking of the joy he had near the end of his physical life, Jesus teaches us in his words in John chapter 17, his great high priestly prayer. Jesus says in verse 4 of John 17 to his father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. 
And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He came from the Father. He's returning to the Father. He will take up the mantle of glory that he has as the only begotten Son. But what gives him joy for the life lived is that he completed the work that God gave him to do. Now, oftentimes, we don't think of the of a fall as being the busy season. Last week we saw that summer, home building, family building, wealth building. Your world gets wider and wider. That stream of your life widens out like the Mississippi to become miles wide. You're so busy. Your life takes in so much. But as you give up those things and, and the stream of life contracts once again, the world says, you're done. Put down your tools. Take your rocking chair out on the porch. We don't want to hear from you too much anymore. Just out of sight, out of mind. But that's not the picture of autumn that Scripture gives us. Scripture says we don't stop at 55 or 65 or 70. We enter into our rest, as we'll see next year as we look at winter, we enter into rest, the Sabbath rest of the soul, when we go home to be with the Lord. There is no picture in Scripture of quitting work before we quit life. That's something that we conceive, but that's not taught in Scripture. In fact, Scripture says the work, if anything, it remains. It changes, but it remains for those of us in our fall years. Autumn may be past, but there's work to be, uh, may be passing, but there's still work to be done. The picture I have it's evocative. It's coming soon here, this picture. Now, some of you may say there's something wrong in that picture. The tractor is the wrong color. But I just want to draw your attention to what the tractor is doing. The others of you will say, no, it's exactly the right color. But look at it. You look at that, and you know what it's doing. You look at that, well, it's it's falls past. The, the harvest has taken place. And I could have focused this fall message on the harvest because that's the joy, one of the great joys of the fall years is, is reaping what we sow in our love and with our lives. Fall's full of harvest and thanksgiving. There's so many joys to it, but we have the Thanksgiving season around the corner and we'll turn our attention from Scripture to that later on. But I was talking to some of our farmers even this morning and I told them I love the fall season. There's the excitement of the harvest. We pray for safety because it's go, go, go. It's like, it's like summer on steroids, the busy summer work season. It, reach, it reaches its crescendo in bringing in the harvest in a timely manner. But then the work it continues, but it changes. Up till now, the work has always been looking ahead to the harvest. And then harvest, we're looking back on what we've done and we're reaping everything from this year but it continues. We have a word, words for that in our, in, in the, on the prairies. I hear people talk about getting their fall work done. And some years, winter closes in or the harvest comes in late and you don't get your fall work done and you regret that because there's that time where the focus stops being on the harvest of this season gone by and it clicks over again to next year. The fall work is focused on next year. Why do you clean the equipment so well and winterize it and get it ready? You're getting your equipment ready to survive the winter and be ready for next year. A farmer, he may be driving grain to be sold and emptying the bins out because he knows he has other things, other things that need to be in there. 
he's dealing with the harvest from this year, but his heart and mind are already planning and thinking about next year. Fall work is future work. And I think in spiritual lives, we often miss that completely. We continue to be focused on this that's at hand and all too often on our own lives in fall. It's all about us or even our little circle of the world, our local church, our local family. But God says, turn your eyes to the future. Fall's a time of building a bridge to tomorrow. Let's look at some of that fall work. We're not going to talk about minerals in the soil or harrowing or disking or getting ready for next year's seeding, but spiritually, they have a lot in common. Look with me in the brief time remaining at some of the fall work that Scripture speaks of for you and I in those beautiful golden fall years. First thing is that fall work includes encouraging the young, the emerging generation. That's a wonderful thing you can do. Sometimes there's the stereotype of us old guys sitting on the porch yarning over stories in the past. Yeah, that can be a caricature, but it's also got some truth in it. You need to share what God has done in your life in the past to the new generation. They need to know that they can trust God, that you have learned of His faithfulness. I've used this passage many times in speaking to seniors. In fact, Dorothy and I, we were at St. Mary's this week doing a wonderful chapel for the first time since COVID began. All of our, all of our people in St. Mary's, both continuing care and the lodge, were able to worship God and have chapel together. It was wonderful. And I was already working on this message and I was already in fall mode. My wife already warned me strictly that, you know, because as I, as I work on it, I'll, I'll listen to music and do things that have me thinking about the topic. And this week I've listened more than once to the inimitable Nat King Cole's beautiful song about autumn leaves, the falling leaves drift by my window, the autumn leaves, red and gold. You'd enjoy it so much more if Faye allowed me to sing that wonderful song for you this morning. But, I will not do that because the internet is forever and I, my humility would continue on for a long time. But sharing with the people this week, one of the passages we looked at and often we look at uh, speak to us of our fall years. And one of my favorite passages is this in Psalm 71. The entire psalm, if you haven't had a chance, read Psalm 71. It's a psalm about faithful people growing older. And later in the psalm, the psalmist writes, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Now, in high-tech circles, we talk about computer gaming consoles and computers as being next gen. That's in fact the people who service our photocopier, we have a contract with them. They're called next gen digital services. Nobody's more next gen than believers. We are always to be focused on growing disciples in the next generation. Just as somebody was faithful for you and I and shared the good news of God's love with you. Most often it might have been believing parents mother or father. It might have been a praying grandmother. Somebody moved heaven's hand that it would touch your heart. 
a believing, faithful person. God used them to share the good news of Jesus' love with you. God's plan is for you to continue that process and do that in the lives of others. How you can encourage the young by telling your story and living it out in a practical way, God's love. I've mentioned her before, but in my life, we were blessed. We had many good Sunday school teachers when I was growing up. We were in churches. We had Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders. But for many of us, our direction of our lives changed when a woman took over our teen Bible study. Now having a woman teaching a, a church that had mostly, mostly young men in it, teenage boys, a woman took over our Bible study. Not only a woman, an older woman, a woman of a certain age. There were so many boys in our church, Burnell Road Baptist Church, we were called the Burnell Road Bachelors. And whenever a family would visit, if they had a girl our age, They'd only visit once because that girl would see all of us standing in a line looking at her and we'd never see them again. I don't know why. But the Burnell Road Bachelors, one day in God's providence, a lady took over our study, Mrs. Isabel Barbon. You know she's older. Her name's Isabel. Isabel Barbon and Mrs. Barbon was one of the greatest Bible teachers we ever heard. And her story of God's faithfulness the loss and the pain that she had gone through and God brought her through, in a real way, <clears throat> she was like the Apostle Paul and the young men in her study were her, she always called us her Timothys, her Tituses. We were her protégés. And she was, her protégé, her mentor in, scri- in, in Scripture and in teaching was, was the great radio Bible teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who she'd met personally and been under his tutelage. And she passed on that love of God's Word to those young men. Many of them, we all wound up going to Bible school one day and people in various ministries to this very day. And who receives the reward? Now she's been in heaven for years, Mrs. Isabel Barbon. She used her fall years to encourage the young in God's word. Oh, she was an encourager. But fall work also includes that process I mentioned of passing the faith on to the next generation. We call that discipleship. It's similar to mentoring, but there's a key difference. Discipleship, you can mentor in anything. Most often we hear of mentoring relationships in arts or in business, but discipleship includes pouring your life into another for the purpose to grow them to be like Jesus. It has that spiritual salvation component growing in your salvation. The process that Jesus began, the work he spoke of in John chapter 17 that we began with, Father, I thank you that I have finished the work you gave me to do. It always kind of baffled me that Jesus said that before he went to the cross. If you ask most of us, what was Jesus' work for us? To be our Savior, to die on the cross for our sins, to raise from uh, the grave that we could uh, overcome sin and death. Yes, that's part of it. But Jesus was celebrating the completion of his job before he went to the cross. And he did it because he was surrounded by disciples. He had begun the process of followers, teaching and growing followers to be like him, not just to resemble him, but followers who in turn, like he did, would make disciples. Not just any kind of disciples, but disciples who, like he did, would make other disciples. Jesus began that process with those 12 ordinary men 
disciples making disciples who make disciples. And that process has been going on for two millennia, and you are the result. And that's now in your hands to continue the process that Christ began of discipleship. Followers who make other followers who make other followers. Paul did that with those young men I mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I love 2 Timothy. That's Paul's autumn letter. He's facing the end of life and dealing with end of life issues, talking about his spiritual legacy. Writing to Timothy, Paul says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul's saying, as I taught you, you teach others who are able to teach others. It's the discipleship process, teaching the Word of God, growing them in the faith. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Well, along with that, in the fall years, we are designed with our life experiences of God's goodness to be mentors. Discipleship has that spiritual aspect, but mentoring is still key. Mentoring is living your life in relationship with others as an example, as an encouragement to help them in their lives and in their walks, to be good and godly people, to be mentors to them. Mentorship is being example, sharing your experiences, being a listening ear. Paul, again, wrote to one of his protégés, one of those that he discipled and mentored. And we find that in the book of Titus. The book of Titus, chapter 2. Now remember, we spoke on Titus a few years ago. Titus had a hard job. He was on the Isle of Crete. And on Crete, the people who lived on Crete, the Cretans, were difficult people. They were an ornery bunch. They went their own way. And Paul needed his toughest worker, his most hard-headed protege to go there and to bring that church in line and to train up leaders and so forth. But one of the key things that Paul asked Titus to do is to develop mentoring within the church. In this case, he speaks of practical mentorship in the lives of the young women, the young moms in the church. Paul says in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, likewise, because he's already talked about teach older men to be uh, examples for the young men. Now he's turning to the women. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. See, mentoring is sharing your life, not just teaching your beliefs. To be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers, talking about gossip, tearing down people, or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. They can train, and that's what mentorship is, not teaching, it's training. They can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, and to, my Bible is torn there, to be busy at home, and to be kind. That's the word that was blotted out. And to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, some people will kind of bristle at what he's telling the women to do as mentorship. But remember, this is in first century Roman society 
where there were not commonly women work in the workforce. They were not two-income families. Women had clearly defined roles, and if you stepped outside of them, you would bring disrepute on yourself or whoever you represented. So Paul's teaching them to live good and godly lives so that the Word of God is not spoken against. He's telling them to train people in practical ways. We talk about mentorship in some areas, but I believe the most effective is intergenerational, where we pour our lives into the young, spend time with them, do fun things with them, be examples to them, and help train them up to live as followers of Christ. Fall work includes, and it needs to include, prayer. I've had many senior saints tell me, I just can't do what I used to do. I can't teach Sunday school to the young like I once did. Now their their voices, the, the high pitch of their voices, my nerves can't take them anymore. I love them, but I just can't spend all that time with them. Things change, and they do. We recognize that. But one of the great tools in the Christian's toolbox is to storm the gates of heaven in prayer on behalf of others. We often, from our perspective, say, well, this happened. Billy Graham had a crusade, and we know there were many people working with him, but didn't Dr. Graham do a wonderful ministry? But, you know, we forget all of those people who were praying, praying for those people who would attend those meetings or to hear the message. It's the prayer warriors that God knows and God honors and God answers those prayers. I think if you do any of these, Begin with prayer. As Vern even testified today, use the church directory. Be mindful and be purposeful in praying for one another. Have our hearts and eyes and ears open for what God is doing around us that we may be able to join Him where He's working in prayer. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looking at the Samaritans coming out and people responding to His message So it's just like those fields that we see now as you cross, you pass the the farm fields and they go from green to golden. He says they're white, they're plentiful. He said, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We won't have a generation of missionaries unless we're praying that God would raise those young hearts and lives up to take his good news to a lost world. We need to play our role, and that role is often to intercede on behalf of others in a wonderful prayer ministry. Again, in Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul shares a bit of his prayer life with this church that was so dear to him. He said, I thank God every time I remember you. He thanks God in prayer. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You ever prayed that way? as God brings to mind or as you purposely think through those around you in your church family, your neighbors, your community, and think of what they need and how you can pray for them. Do you pray for the spiritual growth and development in another believer's life? 
You see those young kids in the church and instead of thanking them as the people who, thanking of them as the little people who spill on our carpets and ding our walls, think of them as the missionaries and the moms and the dads that will raise up a believing generation tomorrow and trust God that He who began that good work will carry it on to its day of completion in Christ Jesus. We have in our church, I'm convinced, missionaries and pastors but they will never take the field. They will never open their Bible to lead a Bible study or to lead someone to Christ unless you play your role now in your autumn years and pray for them that God would touch their hearts and call them and lift them up. Well, let's finish by looking at the finish line. Part of our fall work, friends, is finishing well. Don't give up on life before you're done your life before you've passed that torch, before you've handed off the baton. Don't ease up before the finish line. I love watching races in the Olympics, about the only time I watch track and field. But I love in the sprints and in a close race how they lean to the very end. They go to the finish line as hard as they can. They lean into it. They don't slow down. They don't stop. They don't take a walk. They don't sit down. They don't give up on their fall work, finishing well, pass the torch on. Again, in Paul's autumn book, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the verse I shared at St. Mary's this week, it's always spoken to me. It's always a goal of mine is to be like Paul as he reached the finish line. And when I was young, that seemed so far away. I related more to Timothy and Titus, those that were with Paul, those who deserted Paul. Who would I be in life? But now, like Paul in our autumn years, we understand better what he was talking about. Paul says in verse 6 to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing, the crown of righteousness, the Stephanos, from which we get the name Stephen. It was the award, the award of the victor. And those in whose lives faith is the victory will receive a crown from Jesus. In the New Testament, at least five times that crown is mentioned. It's called things like the imperishable crown, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. That's what waits us. We need to press on. Don't give up on life. Keep going. I finish with a picture. It's one that speaks to me. It speaks to me about my life. Think about your life as you look at this picture. Is your life a dead end or a through street? Are there people who will come to faith, whether they were your children growing up in your family, whether they were a person working in the next cubicle to you, whether they were a fellow student, somebody who you prayed for, who you witnessed to, somebody through whom you mentored or discipled, somebody who will continue on because you walk this world. Is your life a through street 
or a dead end. I trust God that there will be a next generation of faith. In the end, it's going to be difficult. This world is doing everything they can to turn people's eyes from God to the world around them. We live in a time of chaos where truth is being denied in every area of life. This young generation that are in the crucible, they need the autumn believers to work like we never have before. That there will be, there will be another generation of faith. As God speaks to us, let us close our time together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for the autumn. Lord, we thank You for the autumn season that's just around the corner. Lord, the work of summer is going to reach its peak in the harvest as the summer's crop is taken in. But Lord, then the fall work begins. The important work to ensure that there is another crop next year. And Lord, I thank You for those who are faithful in their autumn years in our lives as we think back to praying grandmothers, Bible study leaders, Sunday school teachers, moms and dads who never gave up, who modeled and taught, and Lord, prayed, poured their lives into an emerging generation. Lord, we thank You for the joy of the autumn years. We thank You for the beauty of it. It's appropriate, Lord, that our Thanksgiving holiday falls in the autumn because, Lord, we who have lived a life with You have so much to be thankful for. Lord, soon that time will come where each saint Lord, we hear the call. We hear the call home. But till, until then, Father, may we press on. As the Apostle Paul said, may we run the good race, fight the good fight, and keep the faith. Lord, this is our prayer. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today.